Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I am the ESOP guy, and let's continue on this journey to an ESOP. So if you're listening, this podcast is primarily for those that are thinking that they might want to convert their company to either a partial or a full ESOP. So as we've gone through the last month of the economy, things have been very, very crazy. Um, this podcast is really going to be, this episode of this podcast is going to be focused on the relevant change in the economy and really the downturn. As you're working through the process of becoming an ESOP, managing this downturn is is going to be critical and crucial for your business, really for all businesses as we start thinking about what this means for the future. And with that, today I'm, I'm excited to have the privilege of interviewing Managing Director for Commercial and Specialty Banking at Hillcrest Bank. David Stahl is the lead of a team that is the, of relationship, relationship managers that work directly with companies throughout the state of Utah. He has, and his team has worked tirelessly through the PPP loan process that came out just a few weeks ago. Hillcrest Bank is a division of NBH Bank, a publicly traded bank holding company based in Denver, Colorado, with nearly $6 billion in total assets. Their focus is primarily on the lower middle market and that what they do is deliver a diverse specialty banking platform um, with their client for their clients. At Hillcrest Bank, their family of brands, they strive to provide solutions and value for the business owners that they represent. So with that, David, thanks for joining us today. I know you must be slammed right now with all of the activity with COVID. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, uh, sharing some insight as to what banks are dealing with. Great. Thank you. So we know that right now it's been a tough time for businesses. With the recent CARE Act that has come out, I know that on our side of things within the CPA firm, we've been answering a lot of questions for the last uh, few weeks. And really the motivation behind the PPP um, was to provide a way to protect the jobs of businesses, um, of, of business, or of employees of businesses throughout the country. Um, and the way that this works really is that they, the, the company files for the loan. Um, if they use those proceeds of that loan for the PPP towards payroll costs, mortgage payments, rent, insurance, um, over the next eight weeks, once they get the loan, then they can actually be forgiven of the loan. And in fact, it's a tax-free event as well. Um, so with all of that, there's been a lot of activity and obviously a lot of businesses are filing for that. David, what are the challenges that you guys are facing in terms of directing your clients, given the speed at which this program was put together and rolled out? Yeah, thanks, Bill. So the I think the primary uh, challenge that we faced was just deciphering the, the information and the speed in which it was coming out in the short amount of time in which it had to come out. If you think about the president signed this, this, uh, this stimulus bill into law on the afternoon of, uh, of uh, March 27th, uh, and that effectively gave the SBA and the Treasury uh, six days to roll out uh, a program on how they would uh, deploy $350 billion of capital uh, through the banking channel. And so throughout the, the balance of that week, the, the biggest challenge we faced was making sure that um, companies and clients had the, the ability to have the accurate, you know, accurate information uh, based on uh, on the latest updates we were getting, um, an example of that is 
is, uh, you know, the SBA published three different versions of the, of the PPP application in the matter of four days. Um, uh, you know, one example, uh, we were working with when the, when the program went live on Friday the 3rd, I was talking to a client about getting their paperwork in order, and she said she had downloaded the latest version of the application at 11.30 p.m. the Thursday the day before, and I asked her what version of application did she have, and she told me, and I told her that was the wrong one. A new one had been updated. Wow. So wow. It, it, within eight hours of her downloading the application to when we were trying to organize her paperwork, a new application had come out. And so I think that was the biggest challenge that most banks faced in dealing with their clients and standing up their programs was that the information was just so fluid and there was just a short amount of time to get it going. Um, at, you know, at Hillcrest and our, our different uh, uh, banking center brands that we have, um, you know, we have, we've built a strong SBA knowledgeable team and, and, and made some bets and created some views early on that helped us get that program. We have to say that we began accepting applications um, Friday, April 3rd, around noon. Wow, that's fast. And you guys, I thought you guys did, um, I know you guys did a lot of things manually as well, as opposed to being able to rely on a lot of, uh, you know, programs that you would use typically. Is that true? That is, yeah. We we did it all hands off deck um, uh, across all of our associates. Uh, we, we recognize that the, uh, the favorable impact that this has, not just with our businesses, but also in our communities, in making sure uh, we can keep people on payroll, keep them paid, and, uh, and, and, and as such, uh, we made sure that this was uh, our primary focus of anyone at the bank uh, that had the ability to do it. And so, uh, yes, unfortunately, since April 3rd, it has been a manual process. We have taxed uh, every one of our associates. Uh, you know, they're all working long hours, late hours. Uh, but the results of it have been, have been pretty astonishing over the two weeks we've been processing these loans. That's awesome. And um, so, so going into the application side and just kind of looking at the numbers, how many applications has Hillcrest Bank processed in the past two weeks? And can you comment on really the sheer numbers in terms of how the bank is keeping up with the applications in terms of the volume? Uh, absolutely. So as of, uh, as of uh, 11, as of noon, Mountain Standard Time today, so 2 o'clock, we've accepted nearly 1,800 applications uh, across our six state bank footprint and the, the total volume of those applications were nearly 360 million uh, of, of funding requests and so um, it, like I said I mean the the applications are being accepted from all different parts of the bank many of our banking centers uh, are, are closed and so we've got uh, associates inside those banking centers who are helping clients get their applications in uh, we've got our business banking uh, relationship managers, our commercial banking relationship managers, who are sourcing applications and getting the data into uh, our underwriting system. Uh, and so it really is an all hands on deck to get the data in. And then we've got everybody in our loan support and back office working on um, putting together the, the underwriting templates, getting the credit officers to approve them, uh, and then getting the SBA authorizations. Uh, we have 10 people that are licensed to get SBA authorizations here at the bank. And so they're going through that process uh, and we're, we're able to get them through uh, fairly quickly uh, on the front end. Um, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of a, a bottleneck on the, on the documentation side of things and getting the loans out. Mm. Um, 
but that's just because of the sheer number of people. There's only a handful of people in loan in our loan operations that are actually qualified to do loan docs, and so. Um, while everyone can take information and put it into the system, only a handful of people can get it out. And so we're working through that process now in real time. But we've been getting hourly updates, um, talking about where different, you know, where aggregate numbers of, of applications are, credit decisionings are, how many we have in SBA, uh, in the SBA queue for authorization, and so forth and so on. And so it's really been a, a you know, a thousand plus associate team effort to get this thing uh, stood up and executed on so we can get the money in the hands of the businesses. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's been anything like it in history. When, when I, and I was, I know that, you know, you and I know I, I was an old banker before, but nothing like, I've never seen anything like this. Out of those, I, I know that some people I talk to, they're, they're wondering when their funding is coming in. Um, how many of you guys funded already at Hillcrest? So using the same, same timestamp, um, we funded just over 300 loans totaling nearly $110 million um, through sort of the first 10 days of the program. Wow. Uh, so this is money in the hands of businesses that, that can now go uh, and, and uh, direct the funds toward payroll and keeping people on and getting people rehired in our communities. We actually estimate we've been sort of ta- run, doing a running tally uh, on the application in terms of how many employees the companies have. We, we estimate that uh, through the fundings that we've uh, dispersed so far, We've affected nearly 28,000 jobs across the, the 303 loans that we've funded. So that really is, is a data point that I like to point to and use as a rallying cry. Because that's why we're doing this, is to try to save and retain and, and keep those 28,000-plus people that we've affected so far um, you know, on payroll and, and employed. So, without, without being political at all, I'd say President Trump would be like, that was tremendous, because <laughs> he loves that word. <laughs> That's tremendous. Um, anyway, so, but no, I mean, to save that many jobs, this is what it's all about. And you're, and you're kind of a, a hero in that stand, standpoint with everybody kind of going, rising to the challenge. Um, can you guys, can you explain, I know a lot of people are so confused about the actual, you know, you went to some of the kind of the, the details of getting it from here to here. Can you go into a little more detail in terms of the pro- process from very beginning to very end, and at least in how Hillcrest is processing the PPP loans? Sure. Yeah, I think every bank has kind of looked at it differently. Um, I think the largest banks in the country have kind of stood up an online portal and and have directed people to that portal. I know the second tier banks, if you will, from the from the national standpoint, um, have invited people to apply. So there's there's been a, a varying degree of sort of um, a way to engage with your bank relative to getting you know information in the system. Um, out here in Utah, we actually have a, a, a plethora of fintech companies that have partnered with uh, industrial banks and and sort of uh, you know, non-geographical sort of bordering banks uh, to provide the funding platform. And the fintechs have stood up an application platform that moves things through. Uh, but but as I might have meant, alluded to earlier, everything we've been doing is manual. Um, and so, uh, so what we've been doing is, you know, from, from start to finish, you know, uh, the process is somebody takes the application and the relevant data and we validate that we have a complete package. Um, the SBA was, you know, one of the moving targets all of last week was what is a, a complete package. But I think we, we kind of got to that point, uh, even midstream when the SBA said your payroll data would be calculated on all of 2019's payroll data and then decided that they were going to move it to a trailing 12 months of payroll data or something in between. Mm. 
And so we, we've been working with our clients really one-on-one to try to make sure that we have uh, the most accurate data that we can validate because the last, you know, last thing we want to do is, um, uh, is, is, uh, is, is potentially negatively affect the, the forgiveness piece on the backside. Um, uh, and so, uh, uh, and so as we go through that data, we, we then input everything into our underwriting system, um, spends a day or two in there, uh, as it works its way through sort of the documentation pieces of it. Um, and then once we get it out of there, like I said, one to two days at most, uh, it sits in a queue and waits for one of those 10 licensed people to go ahead and, and, and authorize the SBA number uh, from the ETRAN system, which is a system that, uh, which is the, the name of the system that uh, banks use to get the uh, SBA authorizations. Um, and then from there, uh, it goes to our doc prep people, um, you know, spends a day or two there. Uh, we've been using DocuSign for all of these. And so the document creation and in, in the in, uh, Dissemination has been um, shortened dramatically, um, and uh, and then once the client signs, the banker signs, and generally we fund the same day that we get the loan docs back. And so that's sort of a, a little more detail into the end-to-end process uh, as we've been seeing it, and um, and uh, as, as our as our loan volume has continued to increase, I think we've seen a little bit of stretching in terms of the separate stages, but. Uh, generally, uh, when we've been working with our clients to keep them informed, we've been kind of thinking about them in those stages. I've taken your application. It's been decisioned. It's got an SBA number, which is really what every business wants because that keeps your place in line. And then it's in doc prep. Here are the documents, and we get funding. And so we kind of look at it from that five-step process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and one of the things that came out, too, is that the SBA has put um, – is put a 10-day closing window on when you get your authorization to when the funds have to be out the door. Wow. Uh, and okay. so that was one of the uh, after April 3rd changes that we learned as well. And so there is a little, you know, there's a time sensitivity around when you get your authorization and when we fund. So so could could a client ask for their, their SBA number just to see where they are in the process? Or is that um, is that something you would tell people? You know, I, I can't actually answer that because no one's asked me for the SBA number. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody <laughs> so knows that they. This is why you know it's interesting. It's an interesting po- podcast because I, I think nobody really understands that process. They're like, that we go through that process of giving them, like we did the calculator to help them calculate what their payroll was and make sure they have the do- the right documentation. But they submit it into the portals, which is a lot of the, the banks, and then they're in. They're waiting. You know, and then I'm sure they're following up with their banker. But uh, I think that would be interesting to see if the, that was available. They maybe at least know that they have an SBA number, and they're and yeah. they're kind of it's the funding is coming. So, and, and we've been advising our clients when the uh, we get a notice that the SBA has approved or accepted the application, and so even though we don't get a number in there, I believe that's our to our clients and say, hey, just so you know. You've got your SBA authorization. You're in line. Now we'll just work to get it closed. Yeah, and that's um, and that just is helping them because I mean I'm sure they're they're really needing to know as soon as they can to make decisions in their business. Um, one thing I would offer to the listeners, uh, if you're working with a bank, uh, one of the things is you know we've talked with nearly uh, 150 business owners uh, throughout Utah uh, over the last 10 or so days relative to this program, and one of the common themes that I keep hearing is that, you know, is, is what you mentioned, that there's a, a, a lack of transparency around where I'm at in the process. Mm-hmm. And so what I've, what I've tried to help clients 
business owners think about is, you know, have you, because these banks that are using the portals, have you just provided basic information in that portal or have you actually uploaded your calculator, your PPP application, your, your 940s, your 941s, your payroll supporting data? Have you actually uploaded those? Because those are two, what we saw early on in the process was that banks were taking, using air quotes, taking information from clients, mm. but they weren't taking the relevant information. And so what I started to do was use the vernacular versus um, uh, uh, you've applied versus you're being processed. Mm-hmm. And right. so, it, you know, no ba- banks can take your information, but they can't uh, formally process your application until the supporting documents have been uploaded. And so one of the things that I would uh, offer up is if you're unsure where you stand, think about what you've done to this process. And if you've not uploaded the relevant information to your bank, you need to press them to understand where you're at in the process and have them give you answers. Because if they've just got your basic information, they're they're not doing anything with your application. Mm. Well, that's really good information, I think. And that's where it, I think there's a lot of confusion and and some people are and everybody's different, right? Everybody's saying some things that are different. And there's some things that as a banker, you can say to your client and, and you're kind of under the, uh, of course, the way the bank is telling you to do that. So I think that's great. So if you're listening to that, definitely ask those questions for your banker. And um, one of the things I wanted to kind of jump to a little bit is just the recent, you know, as we look at smaller clients in the PPP, but let's, let's jump to the whole Main Street loan. And um, can you kind of explain, you know, that loan? Because it's, it's a different program, um, but designed for some of the same purposes as the PPP, but just for bigger companies. Uh, yeah, so, so a couple of things that uh, I don't know if they were missed or deliberately left out of the, the PPP loan efforts um, was, you know, companies beyond 500 employees, um, private equity-owned companies, uh, things of that nature, you know, really, really didn't become eligible to, you know, under the PPP uh, loan. And so what the, what the Fed did in response to that uh, last week was stood up the Main Street Lending Program, which was really probably designed more for what I would define as true middle market um, corporate banking style clients and, you know, companies, uh, you know, not exceeding two and a half billion in annual revenue, you know, generally, you know, more, you know, they can be under 500 employees, but, um, you know, generally not more than 10,000 employees and somewhere in between. And, and they stood up a, a, an effort in partnership with banks that act very similar to their syndication. Uh, whereas, uh, instead of, uh, providing the banks an SBA guarantee, um, the Federal Reserve stood up a, a special purpose vehicle, SPV, for the participation in these, in these Main Street lending programs. And so um, the, the Fed is going to purchase 95%, effectively uh, ex- leaving the banks exposed uh, 5% on whatever loan amounts they do under this program. And, uh, it, and really, again, it's intended to sort of um, fill that upper end of the gap that may have been missed by the, the PPP efforts. And so... Um, just broadly, there's a couple of different programs under this. Uh, generally, the terms are uh, roughly four years. Uh, amortization of principal and interest will be deferred for the first year. Uh, the loans will be unsecured and will allow for prepayment without penalty. Um, unlike the PPP loans for small businesses, loans provided under the Main Street Lending Program are not eligible for loan forgiveness. So this really is a loan. Yeah. And since it is it is tradi- a, a traditional loan, um, 
you know, you got a little bit more flexibility around the use of funds versus the PPP restrictions, whereas 75% or more needs to be used for payroll. You can use some for utilities, some for rent, uh, or interest on mortgages, but the majority of it needs to just be used for payroll. And of all the of all the conversations we had with business owners, a lot of times we spent the good portion of that just really understanding what the business owner's need was mm-hmm. and whether or not they could meet that 75% or more criteria uh, because if they couldn't, then they needed to find an alternative. And we, we suggested uh, for the smaller businesses, the EIDL loan, um, which was a little bit probably more flexible on the expense side because it is a loan. And that's essentially what this Main Street lending facility is, is very similar to that, just larger numbers. Um, there's two ways to uh, disperse the funds. You can either do it as a new loan um, or you can do it as, a, as, a, as an upsizing to an existing facility. Uh, and each one of those have very specific parameters to whether or not, you know, how you fund those. And, uh, and so we as a bank are still trying to formulate a view around, uh, you know, are, are we going to de- deploy this to you know, clients only? Uh, are we going to deploy or open it up a little more broadly to, to try to help people beyond just, you know, beyond clients and then, and things like that. And it's very, it's very prescriptive around, um, it's, it's, seems to be geared more around a leverage number. And so mm. if you think about what, what you can qualify for, there's, um, you know, there's somewhere between four and a half to six times senior leverage or, or total leverage based on uh, the, the prior year's EBITDA is kind of one of the, the, the main formula criteria. Um, you know, some restrictions on how the funds are used. You can't, re- you can't retire existing debt, can't do stock buybacks. Um, there's some compensation restrictions that I don't want to go too far into based on your compensation levels, your overall payroll. Um, and you know, you could, you can only participate in one of the programs. Now you can get a main street lending program and a PPP loan. Um, but you cannot participate in, uh, more than one of the different main street lending programs. Like I said, the upsizing to the existing revolver or a total new facility. And so, um, you know, again, hot off the presses uh, last Thursday, and uh, um, you know that's a little bit of detail that we have around the program so far, uh, mm-hmm. and are trying to find ways to we're exploring ways to deploy that uh, uh, help you know continue to help our our clients through this program um, as right. more as more comes to light. So I think that's very helpful, David. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of finish with is just the um, I know one of the issues that came up was the banks that have they were kind of putting preference with their clients. Are you seeing a lot of non clients come to you for the for these loan facilities? Uh, yeah. So we are seeing a lot of businesses, period. Now we're in Utah. So our expansion, you know, in, in Utah is an expansion market for the bank. Uh, and so we didn't have a lot of clients to start with when this program launched. We've been open effectively a year here in Utah. And so many of the, the, the 150 that I mentioned were non-bank clients. And so, so, so yeah, I think every bank, and, and I, I'm happy to get into the, 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 the specifics as to maybe some of the whys, uh, but I think broadly every bank just did it because there were some broad-based risks to these banks uh, relative to the loan forgiveness piece of it, and um, banks in general uh, wanted to make sure that they were uh, that they that they could you know help these clients on the debt forgiveness side, and there were a lot of assurance that needed to be made between all parties that I don't know really came, you know, came together, uh, you know, since they, they launched this in such a short period of time. For example, uh, even though we funded 303 loans so far to date under this program, uh, we're still unclear on sort of the mechanics and how we're going to help these companies 
you know, go through the process of forgiving these loans. Mm. I still have not seen the mechanics on how that will work and the guidance from the SBA and the Treasury on that. So, so yeah, I think just because of a lot of the ambiguity, so many banks, every bank really just said, hey, um, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to focus on our clients first and foremost uh, and make sure that they get the access to the capital. We have processed some non-bank clients. We have processed uh, some affiliate businesses of our clients that didn't bank with us before. So, uh, but we've been, you know, much like everyone else has, has been uh, uh, primarily processing for our clients, but we've not excluded non-bank clients. Okay. I think that's, you know, that's helpful because I think sometimes, you know, there's a, there's questions about where they can go if their bank is not going to be able to do the PPP. So um, I think that's very helpful. I know for us, we're in the next stage of us, of we're doing a webinar, I think Friday on the interpretation of the tax law rel- relative to the forgiveness section. So there's still, you know, going to be ongoing questions as we start to, to work through the details of, of what happens next with, with these programs. But um, so, but initially going through that for the last 20 minutes has been just really helpful, David. Um, I really appreciate your time. So, so if you're in Utah and looking for a great bank, David Stahl with Hillcrest Bank, and I appreciate all the time you're, you're making for us today and uh, have, have a great day, David. And as we close out, I just want to remind you all to, to um, if you, if you like the podcast, subscribe to it and share it with a friend. Um, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.